This morning, before I jump into um, uh, the text that uh, we're going to be looking at, there's really three things that I wanted to hopefully accomplish in the time that we have. And uh, the first one is uh, I just wanted to pray uh, for a little bit. And uh, the second one is uh, this morning we're looking at divorce and what Jesus has to say about the marriage relationship. Last week we looked at adultery, we looked at lust and, uh, and sex. This week we're going to uh, jump into the second part of this, uh, which is um, a message on divorce, really Jesus preaching to us. And uh, the third thing, like we did last week, we're going to finish off with your questions. And so like we did last week, uh, if you've got a cell phone on you, you're allowed to use it in church today. Uh, you can text whatever questions you have as it relates to marriage, adultery, divorce, remarriage. Um, don't send in questions about like what you want for Christmas this year. Uh, try to keep your questions uh, somewhat uh, related to uh, the text we're looking at. But um, you text your question to 99503, and in the body of your text, put Genesis, and then put your, whatever your question might be. Uh, this morning, I wanted to start with prayer, uh, and I'm a bit heavy-hearted this morning. Um, uh, I got an email uh, last night. Um, as many of you know, Genesis is a brand new church, and we're part of a church planting network called Acts 29. And um, Acts 29 is really an international movement now. Uh, there's probably about 250, 300 churches just in the States, uh, and Genesis really is, I think, uh, the second church in the state of Mass, and I think the sixth church in uh, the uh, greater New England area, meaning the six states. Uh, so there's not many Acts 29 churches here in New England, but uh, one of the great things about being part of this network uh, is uh, really the love and the care, uh, kind of the brotherhood, the fellowship uh, that these churches that we share with all these churches around the world. Uh, last night, um, uh, Scott Thomas, uh, who is the uh, uh, president or leader of Acts 29, and Mark Driscoll sent all the Acts 29 pastors an email um, uh, just asking for prayer that um, um, there was a, uh, a pastor uh, on Friday night who committed suicide. And um, uh, he came home on Friday um, uh, from his day at work uh, at the church, and uh, this is the guy who's a lead pastor of a relatively new church, a few hundred people, uh, part of his uh, community, and uh, he had a pretty serious fight uh, with his wife and um, uh, went straight from a disagreement uh, with his wife and uh, shot himself and uh, died there instantly. So um, it's about 11.20 right now, so in about 10 minutes uh, uh, Houston time, this is a church in Houston, Texas, there will be uh, a church uh, gathering for the first time to talk about this, to pray about this. And so I wanted to lead us in praying for uh, this family. And uh, it's a family that's got uh, a 16-year-old uh, girl, a 12-year-old girl, and a 10-year-old boy. And it's uh, hard, uh, I think, we're talking about marriage, and um, marriage is a really uh, big deal, as is divorce is a really big deal. And uh, I don't know the circumstances of what led this uh, man to ultimately take uh, his life, uh, but it's a great tragedy. And um, if you would, I know you don't know this man, uh, but... Uh, He's a brother in Christ and uh, a pastor of a church uh, community that we are part of. So uh, if you would, join me in praying uh, for him. God, my heart just uh, aches for uh, this community in Texas right now that's going to be gathering here shortly. And uh, we'll be hearing this news uh, uh, just for the first time. I got my heart breaks for a wife who's uh, uh, without her best friend, without her husband, and my heart just breaks for three little kids who are uh, now without a dad. 
God, you know uh, the situation, you know the story. God, and only you can uh, speak into this. And I just pray, God, uh, that in the midst of an incredible, incredible loss, incredible tragedy, God, that you would show yourself good. God, that you would show yourself real. God, I pray that uh, this wife and these three kids would experience you in a way that they never have. God, that they would experience just your heavenly hand, your gracious hand upon them and their lives. And God, the healing is going to be uh, just an immense journey of healing. I just pray, God, that uh, these kids... But can only imagine are not only devastated but absolutely just confused. God, that they would see you maybe for the first time as their dad, as their father. God, I pray for his wife, who I can only imagine a sense of just guilt and a sense of not of loss and confusion and hurt and pain, just a, a wide breath of emotion that I imagine she is feeling. Uh, God, would you please uh, be her father? And uh, God, where there's a lot of pain right now, I just pray that you would bring comfort as only you can. And God, I pray that uh, the church that uh, they are part of, God, they would do it well. God, that they would love uh, this family, that they would embrace a wife and three kids. And God, I pray that this church and a community that uh, there's a lot of media attention about this, God, that people would come to know you, uh, Jesus, in a real way. That somehow, some way, the gospel would go forth. The good news would be preached that there is hope even amidst uh, a lot of suffering and this great tragedy. God, you get the victory in this. So many times life just makes absolutely no sense. But you do. God, uh, outside of you, life is at best uh, confusing and very lonely. So God, would you please, uh, would you shine? I want to just uh, continue to pray um, this morning, and um, I'm going to do something probably a little bit uh, different uh, than we typically normally do, but one of the things I... Uh, feel compelled uh, to pray for uh, is just us as uh, uh, a a church community. And so if you are uh, married right now or if you are engaged, I would just ask that you would stand right now just where you are and everyone's just keep a time of prayer right here. But if you're married, I just want to pray specifically for you and pray specifically for your marriage and your engagement God, you see those who are standing right now, and I give thanks for their marriage, for their engagement. God, I give thanks for the friendship that they have with one another. God, I pray that their marriages would be blessed, would be protected. God, I pray that as husbands and wives, they would love you first and foremost more than anything else. And God, the love that just would overflow from you would overflow to their spouse. I pray for husbands that they would love their wives well, that they would cherish their wives, that they would honor their wives, that they would respect their wives, that they would speak graciously and kindly and encouragingly to their wives. God, I pray that these husbands that are standing would be men of character and men of integrity, men who love Jesus and who would love and lead their families well and sacrifice for their families. God, I pray for the wives that are standing. 
God, that their identity would be so firmly rooted, established in who they are, first and foremost, not as a wife, but as your child. God, I pray that they too would love their husbands well, love their fiancés well, and would respect them and follow them well. God, would you please just pour your spirit into each of these marriages and these engagements, that these marriages would be such a picture of the covenant relationship that you have with the church. God, I pray that these marriages would be permanent. God, I pray that if there is marriages right now that are literally on the rocks, that are struggling, that are beginning to lose hope of something better, God, I pray that you would restore marriages to the thing of beauty that you have called them to be. God, I pray that the men and women who are standing right now would fight and fight well to love you and to love one another. And God, where there's hurt and pain and disagreement, I pray, God, that these men and women who are standing would just be so filled with grace and compassion and kindness and forgiveness and mercy towards one another. God, would you please protect these marriages? God, I pray that these marriages would go for gold. That they would go for 50 years and beyond. God, I pray that the marriages and the men and women that are standing would settle for nothing less but your design on their life and on their marriage. God, please just bless God, I pray that these marriages that might have children, I pray as parents they would love their kids. They would sacrifice for their kids. They would teach their kids about you, Jesus. They would teach them just to love Scripture. They would teach them that their identity is not in who the world declares them to be, but who you, Jesus, declare them to be. God, I pray that these kids would grow up to love you and follow you and trust you with all of their life. God, if there is any brokenness in sons not reconciled to their dads, daughters not reconciled to their moms, or any unreconciled relationships, God, would you restore relationships? Would you restore sons and daughters back to their moms and dads? God, you can do that, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would. If you would, go ahead and please be seated. If you are a man who is single and desirous at some point, whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now, to get married, would you please stand? God, I pray for these men who are now standing. God, I pray that they would be godly men, so that they would be godly husbands. God, I pray that they would grow in character and in integrity and in purity. That they would grow and learn how to lead and love and serve and sacrifice. God, I pray that they would chase hard after purity, that they would fight for their purity now. God, I pray for these men who are standing that they would absolutely love you, Jesus, first and foremost. And if there's someone who doesn't know you, Jesus, let today be the day that changes. That there would be such a deep-rooted passion and love for your word, for prayer, for serving and for giving. God, I pray that these men would look like Jesus at all times, in all places, God, I pray that if there is sin, that it would be radically amputated from their life, that they would repent and run so hard away from a life about self and run and turn towards to a life about you, God. God, I pray that their identity would be so firmly rooted and established in who they are as your children and as godly men. God, encourage these men to be courageous to be bold, to be men of passion, men of conviction. 
and men who are humble and men who are broken. God, for each and every man that is standing now, if you have placed a call on their life to be married one day, would you prepare them to be godly husbands, men who will love you, Jesus, who will love their future wives and who will love their children? God, just pour so much character and so much integrity into each of these men so that they would do it different, they would do it better. They would set a standard for other men to see. You guys may be seated. If you're a woman who is single and at some point desirous to be married, would you stand? God, I thank you for each of these women that are now standing God, my heart breaks for them in that they live in a world that says their value and significance and worth is found in how they appear and their beauty. God, I pray that they would not buy into that lie. God, I pray that their identity and their value and significance and worth would be so firmly established and rooted in who they are as daughters of a great God children of a great king. I pray that these women who are standing would stand well for you, that they would pursue Christ-likeness in all things, that they would enjoy, embrace things like contentment for who they are and where you have them, for no matter how long you'll have them there. God, let their lives be marked by just such overflowing joy and contentment for who they are as daughters of a great king. God, I pray that you would prepare them if you've called them to be married, to be godly women who would become godly wives, who would love their husbands with a love overflowing from them that comes from their love from Jesus. God, please bless each of these women. I pray that they would fight hard for their purity, that they would not feel the need to chase after men to try to get their attention, but God, that they would chase hard after you and enjoy your love, your affection, your embrace, your grace, your mercy, Please, God, bless each of these women. God, whoever it is that you would have one day for them to walk hand in hand with, until that day comes, God, I pray that they would hold firmly to your hand and not let go. And I pray, God, that they would not lower their standard They would not compromise their, their morals, their personhood. God, let these women hold firm to you. And God, I pray that they would not give their hearts to anyone that you do not give them permission to give their hearts to. God, that their hearts would be so yours. And when the day and the time and the place and the season comes where you point them in the direction, you cast their vision to a man who looks like Jesus, they would hear your voice with conviction saying, that's the man I've prepared for you because I love you. You guys can be seated. If anyone here has been divorced, been impacted by divorce, come from a family that's just experienced divorce, would you please stand?
God, where there is brokenness, where there is hurt, where there is pain, you bring healing. God, divorce has impacted so many people, and it doesn't just impact one person. I imagine, God, there are men and women who have come from divorce backgrounds or children of divorce or have endured the pain of going through divorce themselves. God, please, where there is hurt, would you bring healing? Where there is maybe bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to give way to grace, to give way to mercy. God, there is no person, there is no situation that is beyond redemption. And I say that because you redeemed me. So God, whatever the story of each individual that's currently standing, bring redemption, bring restoration, bring reconciliation. God, I give you thanks that for reasons known to you, that you have allowed these men and women to go through what they have gone through. God, and I pray in the midst of what they've either gone through or currently going through, they would see your hand all over them. And then that way they would grow in the likeness and character of Jesus despite situation or circumstance that is just unimaginable. God, much like Job says, a man whose life was just turned upside down and wrecked, he held firm to a confidence that you know exactly where he was and that when he would come forth on the other side, he would come forth as gold, refined, so God, I pray for these men and women who are standing because they've been impacted by the brokenness, pain, devastation of divorce. God, that they would come forth the other side refined as gold, looking more and more like your son Jesus. You guys can go ahead and be seated. God, I pray this morning in whatever time we have remaining. Our picture, our view, our understanding of you would be so increased. Our picture, our view, our understanding of marriage would be so increased. God, would you speak to us now as we would take a look at two verses. But God, they're just two verses that are so powerful and they bring out so much emotion. You God, you know where every single man, woman, individual is here today. So would you speak? And God, I do pray that if there's someone here who has not a clue who you are, that they would know you to be good today, that they would know you to be a good heavenly father who is gracious and compassionate and kind, forgiving, loving. God, I pray that today, literally lives and eternities would get changed as we would turn to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, you have a Bible... Um, uh, open up to, to Matthew uh, chapter 5. Divorce is a really hard subject. Uh, hard because it's very complex, bless you. God bless you. Not me, God blesses you. Um, it's very complex, uh, but I think it's even more so difficult 
because uh, it's so filled with emotion and so much hurt and so much pain that it's hard to sometimes sift through all of the emotions to have a biblical understanding of what the Bible says about divorce. See if this resonates that you've ever thought these thoughts or asked these questions. They would be so much better and happier if they were apart because they're so miserable together. It would just be better for them to be done with and done with each other because they drive each other nuts. They are miserable. I have thought that. And I'm not saying that's good or it's right, it's wrong. But I've been around different married couples. I'm like, my goodness, their problems are so enormous and so intense. It would just be better if they were apart. They'd be better off, I'd be better off if I was just with someone else. I just don't love her or I just don't love him uh, anymore. So what's the point of staying in a loveless marriage? The kids... The kids would be so much healthier, so much happier if mom and dad would just be done with each other because it's miserable being in a home where mom and dad just do this all the time. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, verbally. Too much damage has been done. Maybe you've thought that. It's like it's, that's way beyond God even doing anything with that. It's too much of a mess, too much hurt, too much pain, too many lies, too many deception, too much infidelity. It's just way, it's just too far gone. Or he was abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, sexually abusive. And yes, you can be sexually abusive. There is such a thing as rape in marriage. That's why divorce is so hard. It's so complex. There are so many questions uh, about marriage and about divorce. And my challenge to us individually as a community is that we would be, as best as we can, be biblical in our thinking, not emotional in our thinking. This is an emotional matter, so I'm not saying have no emotions about this. I'm saying let us be Let the the Bible shape how we understand marriage. Let the Bible shape how we understand divorce. If you think divorce is something new, uh, the culture that Jesus lived in uh, was worse than it is today. Uh, I don't have statistics. Um, Barna was not around, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. Gallup was not around 2,000 years ago. So I don't know the statistics. You know it's a good church service when tissues are being passed. They'll work their way to you. Um, But divorce was even more rampant in Jesus' day and before Jesus' day uh, because there was not any regulation, so to speak, on divorce. Our culture, this is what statistics say, 70% of men, so all the men, whether married or were single, 70% of you, statistically speaking, will cheat on your spouse. 60% of the women that we're standing today, statistically speaking, will cheat on your spouse, meaning you will have an affair. 50%, 55% of marriages do not make it 15 years. Silver's 25, gold is 50. 50% of those will not even make it to maybe bronze. First marriage, and the numbers, it's... um, depending on what resource you go to, is varies between 45 to 60%. So I'm just going to say 50. Uh, but 50% of marriages will end in divorce. To those people who get divorced and think that they'll do better the second time around, they'll choose more wisely, or they'll be different the next time around, statistically you're wrong. 65% of second marriages will end in divorce. So for those who think the third time is a charm, where you've got it, you've got yourself figured out and you've got marriage figured out, you're not in good shape. 75% of third-time marriages will end in divorce. And as I mentioned, these are divorce statistics. We live in a very divorce-on-demand culture, meaning you want a divorce, you can get it. It's pretty sick, actually. This is some quotes from uh, some websites. Three-step divorce, meaning there's three steps you can be divorced, says this, is an easy divorce solution. And by the way, there is no easy solution to divorce. 
Learn why we are the best choice for you. With our premium online divorce service, you pay just $299 with no additional fees for children. I read that and uh, I wasn't crying, I was just sick. They just totally simplify divorce as it's just peeling off a Band-Aid at best. CompleteCase.com says this, is the premier affordable divorce service center. Our simple and inexpensive process will enable you to complete your divorce documents from the comfort of your own home without incurring the cost of an attorney or dealing with lengthy completion and delivery periods. The total is just 250 bucks for you. From the comfort of your own home, you can work through your divorce. One of the pictures, this is a, a picture that was actually on uh, one of the websites. And there, well, there she is. Either one. Now, there's two pictures. Divorce uh, doesn't have to be complicated or costly. And I don't know if we can get the other picture up. Um, this one says, complete your divorce online. Over a quarter of one million users to date. It's almost like a dating service. And these two pictures of these women, they just look so happy, you know? But I didn't find any divorce online that talked about or showed pictures of the women who were just broken or the men who were just broken or the kids just in tears and in years and years of counseling because of divorce. So we live in a divorce on-demand culture, meaning you want it, you can go get it. It's pretty simple to do. And... In all reality, that's how easy divorce was in Jesus' day. So if the statistics tell you that 50% of marriages will end in divorce, if you're single, why would you want to get married? I know the thought is, you'll do it different, you'll do it better, but I'm just asking the question, if I told you that tomorrow, driving to work, there was a 50% chance that you were going to get run into by a truck, would you still go to work? If I told you that the plane that you were going to get on had a 50% chance that it was going to go down, how many people would get on that plane? If I told you that tomorrow you had a 50% chance of being mauled by a bear, how many people would go outside? The point is, you would do something different. You still might go to work, get on the plane, and just keep an open eye for the bear. But the point being, you would do something different. So my point is, if you are going to have a marriage, you're going to have to do something different. And what I wanted to propose as a question is, because a bad question would be, how do I have a marriage uh, that would be divorce-proof? Like, how can I be that guy, that woman, that marriage that will beat the odds? That's a bad question. The question that I want to encourage you to wrestle with, think about is, how can I have a marriage? How can I be part of a marriage that really honors God? And how can I have a marriage that really displays God's covenantal relationship that he has with his church? You'll hear me say this later, but marriage is not so much about you staying in love as it is as much about you displaying between in your marriage what God's relationship with the church looks like, his covenant community. So the question is, how can I not have, uh, or how can I survive divorce um, and adultery and all those kinds of things? The question is, how can I have a marriage that God really looks, points at that marriage and says, I'm pleased with that husband and wife. I am pleased with how they love one another, serve one another, respect one another forgive one another, that he smiles upon that marriage? And how can I have a marriage that Jesus would look and say, look at those two. That's a picture, a display of what my relationship with the church ultimately looks like. So I guess the question is, does God have a design for marriage? Because if you're going to have one of those marriages where God honors, God's pleased with, smiles upon, and says, that's a good display of my relationship with the church. A question that I'll ask is, does God have a design for marriage? Because man's design for marriage just doesn't seem to be all that great. 50-50 
just doesn't seem to be great odds. So then I will wrestle with the question, does God have a design for marriage? And the Bible clearly says that God has a design for marriage. I'll give you a few things, and if you want to jot these down, number one is this. Uh, You were not created for marriage. We live in a world that says you have to find the one. Like, look for the one, you know, do whatever you can to find the one. It's the Jerry Maguire syndrome. A terrible movie in the most emotional moment where Tom Cruise going for his only Oscar, crying, you complete me. I mean, I almost got sick. I was like, wow, that is not only terrible acting, but that's a lie. (laughs) No one will complete you. You were not created for marriage. You were created for God, by God, for God. The one that you are looking for, his name is Jesus. If Jesus, your number one, sees fit to bring along a number two, then so be it. But you were created for God, not created for marriage. This is God's design uh, for marriage. Um, Second thing is marriage is not our idea, it's God's idea. Man is alone in the garden, meaning Adam. He looks at Adam and just says in Genesis 2, verse 18, it's just not good that you are alone. So God created someone who was suitable for him. God had a design, a plan, a purpose, an intentionality for marriage. This is not our design. God is the one whose idea marriage belongs to. Number three, marriage is not about you. The more you make marriage about you, the more miserable you will be. That's just a principle in life. If you make yourself at the center of your life, it will be a very small world because you're a small person. I'm a small person. If you make your marriage about you, what I want, when I want it, how I like it, all of if you just make it a self-centered, self-driven, self-focused marriage, I guarantee you it will be a miserable marriage. So marriage is not about you. It's about how can I honor God in this relationship? How can I glorify God in this relationship? Number four, I've already mentioned this one. Your marriage is to display something beautiful about God, not something beautiful about you. So people look at your marriage and say, that's a picture of God's relationship, what it's supposed to be like um, with the church. Number five, God's design, God's plan in marriage is that you would have oneness, that you would be one of heart, mind, soul, body with one other person. We talked about this last week. When I look look lustfully at another woman, I am breaking my oneness with Kyla because I'm giving myself, my mind, my heart to some other woman. That ultimately kills or destroys oneness. And you've heard me talk about this before, maybe. Oneness is not just, there are too many marriages that share space together. They're like renting a house together, paying a mortgage together. They literally just share space, but they don't share a life. I'm hearing more and more of just husbands and wives who don't even sleep together anymore and not because someone snores and they just need to be in the other room but they have grown so far apart where they're at opposite ends of the house. They share space, but they don't share a heart. They don't share dreams. They don't share passions. They don't share prayers. They don't share mission. God's design in marriage is that you would be one. One with her, her one with you. When you talk about divorce, this is a great picture is if you were to take Gorilla Glue, the world's strongest glue, I got nothing for that promotion, Gorilla Glue, and you take just two clean pieces of wood and just Gorilla Glue them together, and they're just firm, like tight. They're not meant to come apart, and Gorilla Glue, they won't. But if you take things to chisel away, knife apart, pry apart those two boards, They will not break cleanly. 
meaning there will be pieces of the board when you break them, separate them, left on the other piece of board. So it is when oneness is broken in marriage. There is no such thing as a clean break. When there is broken oneness, broken unity, there are parts of Kyla that are all over me and there are parts of me that are all over Kyla. In divorce, there is no such thing as a clean break. It's not possible because you were one, you were part of one another, and you break apart. There are parts of you on that person. And lastly, number six is this. God's desire is permanence. He designed marriage to be permanent. Not through eternity, but permanent here until we're called to go home to heaven. So God's ideal in marriage is permanence, that we would be together. There's a great verse um, uh, in Matthew um, 19, verse 6, and it says this, So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You typically hear that at weddings. That's a Bible verse. That's not some pastor's, like, ideal for marriage. That's God's ideal for marriage. And this is a picture. God has brought this together. So the only person really who has a right to break that apart is God. And if you looked at Matthew 28, 20, Jesus gives a great mission to the church, but then he gives a great promise to the church. In Matthew 28, 20, he just says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Marriage vows should include that. I'm with you, always, no matter what. No matter what you do or don't do, no matter what you say or don't say, I'm with you. Why? Because God is with me. God has not, will not, cannot abandon me. Because God has done that for me, I want to do that for you in this marriage relationship. So God's ideal, his design is permanence. So now the questions that might be burning, that might be strong, is I've fallen out of love. Can I get divorced? We've, gotten, we've gone in different directions. Can I get divorced? Sex, it's terrible. It's not what it used to be. Can I get divorced? And this is, sex and money are the number one reasons people get divorced today, at least stated reasons. The sex is just no longer what it used to be. Money. Too big of an obstacle, meaning the debt has gotten to be too big uh, or there's just not enough coming in. There's conflict with finances. Um, This is just a junk drawer category, but irreconcilable differences, which I don't even know what that means. It means we've got so many problems, I can't even put a name on it. So let's just slap irreconcilable differences and call it a day. If I'm in that junk drawer category, can I get divorced? Or he or she cheated on me can I get divorced? Okay? This is what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must, okay, Jesus is quoting someone else, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for, okay, there's an exception clause, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So anyone who gets divorced for what Jesus will call marital unfaithfulness, biblical grounds for divorce, if you get married, you're causing that person yourself to become an adulteress as well as the person that you are marrying. Okay, In two verses, really just one, in one verse, Jesus completely elevates what marriage means. He did this for anger, okay? You think you're not a murderer because you've not plunged a knife into somebody. Jesus says, if you have hate in your heart, it's the same. You think because you've not had sexual intercourse with another woman while married, that means you're not an adulteress. Jesus says, no, no, no. If you have lust in your heart after another man, after another woman, It's the same thing. You've committed adultery. Jesus elevates those two things, and he continues and elevates 
people's idea of what marriage should be, meaning the permanence of what marriage should be. Okay, when Jesus later, and I'm not gonna have time to teach uh, much on this. Wow, it's already 12 o'clock. How about that? Well, thanks for coming to Genesis today. God bless. Is there a time change? Is that really like 11 o'clock? No? Okay. This is what his disciples say. Okay, Jesus is teaching on marriage. And in Matthew 19, Jesus says this, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. This is the disciples' response. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. That's the disciples after following Jesus for three years. This is towards the end of his time here on earth. Jesus teaching on marriage. I can only imagine Jesus looking at them like, are you serious? People's idea of marriage was they could get divorced for any and every reason. Okay? Marriage, they didn't need to tell people if you commit adultery, that's grounds for divorce. Do you know why? Because the Old Testament stipulated if you committed adultery, your marriage didn't end in divorce, your life ended. If you committed adultery, you die. That's the way they rolled. So there was no, you know, they were thinking, well, if I just, I'm not happy anymore, I don't love her anymore, she doesn't love, whatever, they could just get divorced. And Jesus is saying, no, if there is a break in oneness, if there is sexual infidelity, if there is that break in unity and oneness, then there is grounds, it's permissible. But they're thinking, gosh, if, we, if cheating on our wife is the only grounds for divorce, I'm not sure if I want to get married. Low view of marriage. Jesus, incredibly high view of marriage. Okay? If you're single and even engaged today, uh, marriage is a really big deal. Okay? It is, in God's eyes, it's permanence. Jesus says it's permissible. He doesn't give a command that you have to get divorced. He doesn't say, yep, she committed adultery, you committed adultery, you have to get divorced. He gives grounds, but he doesn't make it a matter of obedience that you have to do this. If you're single, please know God's design for marriage is permanence. That is his ideal. So as you even consider marriage, Ask yourself this question, am I in it for life, come what may? Or will I tap out, will I bail when I just don't like this anymore? It gets tiring, it gets difficult. He changes, she changes. He doesn't look like he used to. She doesn't look like she used to. Like if you're not committed to the idea of permanence before marriage, don't do it. Just don't do it. So, if you're single, I just give you this, um, hopefully help. Marry up. Don't marry potential. Marry up. When I married Kyla, I married way up. And I say way up because the way she loved God and the way she loved people. I just wanted to be around a woman who loved God like that and who loved other people like that. I married up. I'm not talking about a social standing, a physicalness, uh, anything like that. I'm talking about a spiritual, I married up. I knew that if I would have half a chance of leading her, nonetheless just keeping up with her, I would really have to be a man who loved Jesus and learned how to love people. She was not perfect. She still sinned and made mistakes, but she was committed to loving Jesus and committed to loving other people. I did not marry potential. Too many of us have this idea that we'll just I think they'll get better. I, you know, I envision that one day he'll love Jesus, or I envision one day she'll love Jesus. No, they won't. I'm not saying people don't change. I'm saying don't marry potential. Pay attention to things like red flags. If he's got an issue with anger in your dating engagement relationship, that's a huge red flag. I'm talking about anger, unrepented of, undealt with. If you see issues of purity 
in your dating engagement relationship, guess what? There will be impurity in the marriage relationship. Women, if you find a man who is absolutely committed to purity in your dating engagement relationship, you will not have to worry about him being uncommitted uh, in terms of his purity in the marriage relationship. And I'm talking about guys who are committed to complete purity of keeping their hearts, their minds in check. Guys who fight for their purity now will be continuing that fight in marriage. A red flag, impurity, that's a big red flag. Attitudes, pride, arrogance, self-centeredness. If it's present there and now, it will be present in your marriage. I know many people think, gosh, if I just, once we get married, it will all be better. Mm, No, it only gets amplified in marriage. If you think your self-centeredness, pride, your inability to communicate somehow gets better in marriage, no, it only gets amplified. Where you start saying, wow, I didn't know I was that selfish. You kind of had an idea that you were selfish and self-centered. So marriage doesn't cure that. Marriage will only amplify that. Wow, I am really selfish. And then kids come along, you're like, oh my gosh, I am so selfish. These are all just red flags. So before, if you're single, dating, engaged, please take marriage seriously. One of the questions I ask every engaged person uh, in our premarital time counseling sessions uh, is divorce an option. And it's always interesting when they look at each other and like, well, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? I'm like, well, let's start with you. What are you going to say? And he's like, well, I'd prefer to hear what she has to say first. I'm like, well, you're a wuss, but okay. Let's see what she has to say. And it's really interesting to hear the answers of like, well, I guess divorce would be an option if he did this or she did this or he said this or she said this. And it's a very difficult session of working through, is divorce really going to be an option? And you have to work through that before you get married. Married people, is divorce an option for you? If it is, under what grounds is marriage, can it be broken? Can it be separated? Take the question a little bit further and say, well, is it biblical, the reasons I just came up with for grounds for divorce? I'm just going to finish. Jesus gave uh, one, marital unfaithfulness. Pornia uh, is uh, the Greek word. Pornia, where we get our word pornography, just speaks to sexual immorality. It can speak to, uh, the word pornea is used about 30, 35 times in the New Testament. Sometimes it speaks to um, sex before marriage. Okay? Sometimes it speaks to uh, sex outside of marriage. Any sexual sin, any sexual immorality. So, my understanding, as best as I can understand uh, what Jesus is saying here, is when there is sexual immorality in your marriage, either before, during, there is a break in oneness. If I give myself physically to another woman, I have broken the oneness that God had designed for me and Kyla, and I've now had, have oneness with another woman. Jesus says it's grounds for divorce, but you don't have to. And I just would emphasize, and I'll just finish with this. There is another way. I pray that if Kyla ever came home and said, Michael, I need to confess that I have been intimate sexually with this man, my response would be one of grace. Because, and I say that because I've never gone to God and said, God, I need to confess that I've done X sin. And God has never once looked at me and be like, wow, Michael, you've done the unthinkable. I can't forgive that. I can't show mercy. I can't show grace. I can't be compassionate to that. I've never once confessed a sin in my life where God did not meet me with grace. Now, there are consequences. I'm not saying there are not consequences. There are always consequences for our actions, always. But I am saying that God forgives. The unforgivable sin 
is rejection of Jesus. Anything other than that, Jesus says, I forgive. There's grace, there's mercy. So back to my scenario, Kyla comes home. I pray that I would have the courage and the fortitude to look at Kyla and say, I absolutely love you. I'm committed to you. This is a terrible thing, but this will not end us. We will get help. We will seek counseling. We'll do whatever we need to do, but this will not end us because I made a commitment that I'm with you. And until God tells me to separate and divorce you, I'm with you. And there is story after story in the Old Testament. Just read Hosea. It's an incredible picture of a of God who tells Hosea, you see that woman, Gomer? I know she's got a goofy name, Hosea, but yours isn't much better. <laughs> Go and marry her. She's a prostitute. I can only imagine Hosea was like, I'm sorry, God. I'm struggling to understand your voice. Did you say you want me to go and marry a known adulterous woman who will cheat on me again and again and again, two more times and again and again? And God said, yeah, that's that's what I'm telling you to do. Why? Because I just want people to, to know the grace, the mercy, compassion, the forgiveness that I have towards them when they cheat on me and when they cheat on me and they cheat on me. Well, it's 12.15. Miss Jen Zickel, did any uh, questions uh, come in? Well, let's put some up and see what they say. I have a serious interest in a woman just out of divorce. What do I need to be aware of or consider to guard both of our hearts. Um, I think one of the main problems if you come from a divorced background uh, is you approach your next relationship as, well, whatever the, the, it was the other person's fault. You never deal with uh, your own issues. And what I mean by that is uh, statistically, I don't have the exact number, but people who come from a divorced background typically run into their next marriage way, way too quickly. And I would put a question before, um, if you do come from a divorce background, asking, should I get remarried? Uh, That's for a different time maybe. But um, I would definitely say, before you pursue someone who comes from um, a, a divorced background, is just asking the question, has this individual done the work that God is wanting them to do? That might involve a lot of confession, that might involve a lot of repentance. That might involve a lot of healing uh, because the last thing you want to do is enter into a relationship that is already filled with a room filled with bags. And just by the way, you are not meant to carry luggage. There's a great verse, First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on me because I care for you. Too many people walk with both hands under their arms, on their back, luggage. Do not enter into a relationship where the sin, the luggage has not been dealt with because guess what? It will now become your luggage. That's a very quick answer. Anything else? If you are separated and not yet divorced, when is it okay to start dating or trying to move on? If you're separated, um, not yet divorced, uh, I would strongly, strongly encourage you, fight for your marriage. If you're asking the question, when can I start dating? When can I, um, when can I move on? Um, that points to uh, a lot of sin issues within your own heart. And I, I know that might sound hard, uh, but fight for your marriage. The greater victory is not seen in when you can start dating or pursuing someone else uh, or when you can have the emotional release to move on the greater victory would be to say, look at what God did in this marriage. He totally redeemed me, he totally redeemed her, and he redeemed us. What a great story that would be. The hard reality with divorce is this. We communicate to God and we say, God, this is beyond you. You can't fix him. You can't fix her. 
You can't fix us. I'm cutting it off. So if that is you, please do whatever you have to do to fight for permanence in marriage. Don't even repent of thoughts of wanting to date someone else while you're separated. Do whatever you have to do to fight for your marriage. Last question. Why do Christians get divorced at the same rate as non-Christians? That's a great question, and uh, if you didn't know that, um, uh, the numbers are identical for the most part um, in terms of Christians who are married and getting divorced and non-Christians married and getting divorced. Uh, I think the simple answer uh, to that is uh, there are people who are Christian by title, by background, by tradition, by heritage, but are not committed uh, to Christ-likeness in all things, at all times, in all places, no matter the situation or circumstance. Um, and at the heart of, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. I've, uh, I wish this wasn't the case, but there are far too many uh, uh, Christians uh, who don't know Jesus, which I know you're like, well, how is that possible? Uh, there's a difference of knowing uh, about Jesus, even knowing what Jesus said and being committed to say, I'm living Jesus style. I'm living out Jesus way. Like what I love about this Sermon on the Mount is he just paints a picture of this is what your life, anger, lust, marriage, divorce, being a man or woman who keeps your word, being a person who does not retaliate, prayer. I mean, he just walks through the life that God's design purposed us to live. There's a difference of knowing Jesus and knowing about him and knowing him in a real, genuine, authentic, surrendered way. And that's why I fear that the numbers are just as high is because uh, they're very selfish, not Christ-centered. Let me uh, pray. And um, I will try to... um, Uh, There were some questions that got sent in last week um, that were some really good questions, and I'll, uh, um, someone hold me to this and help me with this. Uh, I'll put up a blog this week with some of the questions that did not get answered from this week and any others that may have come in. Uh, I just want you to know, uh, God loves you, and um, no matter where you are, and no matter what your situation, circumstance might be, um, God just wants you to know it can be redeemed, it can be restored, and it can be reconciled, but it has to start with you being redeemed, restored, reconciled back to God. And so as we would finish with some worship and get ready to celebrate communion, I just want you to know this is the gospel. Jesus did for sinful humanity what sinful humanity could not do for themselves. We could not work our way back to God. We could not be good enough to perform and do good deeds as way of earning our way back to God, Jesus simply said, uh, the only way that we can have right relationship with God the Father is through Jesus. Because he lived a perfect life and a perfect individual in the person of Jesus went to a cross to pay penalty for your sin and my sin. And the story did not end at the cross. In many ways, the story began on the third day when Jesus completely conquered death thus conquering death, conquering sin, and he brings us into right relationship with God. If you've not confessed Jesus as your God, you're settling for something far less. Make the decision to say, Jesus, I desire you to be my God. I don't want to be the God of my own small world, my own small universe. I want you to be the God of my life. Make me the man, make me the woman you've designed, fashioned, purposed me to be. Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are good. We give you thanks, Jesus, that you did for us what we could never do for ourselves and that you bring us into right relationship with God the Father, both now and forever. Jesus, if there's someone here this morning, this afternoon, who just does not believe that reality, has not confessed that reality, God, let that be their prayer today. That simply says, Jesus, I've sinned. I need you as my Savior. And confess you, Jesus, as God. 
begin to shape and form and mold that man, that woman into the person that you've created them to be. God, I know that talking this morning about marriage and divorce is a very difficult subject. But God, I just give you thanks that your design, your plan for marriage is permanence. And God, if there has been anyone here that has been impacted by divorce, God, I pray that they would know and have confidence that they have not committed the unforgivable sin. God, that they would sense your grace, your compassion, and mercy and love. And where there needs to be repentance, let there be repentance. Where there needs to be restoration, let restoration win. Jesus, thank you for being gracious enough to tell us what we need to hear, which is sometimes not always what we want. But I thank you that you speak truth, that you speak wisdom. And I thank you that you have saved us from just surviving life and you've invited and called us to live. Let that be so for each and every person in here that we would live the life you've called us to live.